This is Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. Here are your hosts, John Glavin, J.P. Kendall, and Jill Kendrick. Thanks so much for listening. Taking 30 minutes to listen is actually a big commitment, we understand, so whatever time you can spend with us is very much appreciated. In our discussions about racial understanding and indeed the lack of understanding between races, the media is consistently taking its lumps for shoddy or sensationalist news coverage, for capitalizing on controversy and hyping ratings, and even going so far as to lie to audiences in order to boost flagging ratings. Now, the entertainment side of the media shares a large portion of blame, too. Movies and television shows tend to perpetuate racial stereotypes in dramas and comedies. But today, we're going to concentrate on news as entertainment instead of information. And increasingly, the challenges of news deserts. News deserts, by definition, are portions of the country in which there's no local news coverage, whether it be from TV, radio, or newspapers. Newspapers have been dying a slow death for decades, but within the last five or ten years, newspapers have been disappearing at an alarming rate. For this episode, JP couldn't be with us, so Jill and I sat down and talked with Jeff Boddy, a local newspaper man going back to the late 70s, for his take on the death of newspapers in cities both large and small. Jeff's that increasingly rare breed of reporter who experienced downsizing without losing his job, as has been the fate of thousands of writers in the last 20 years. Jeff joined us from Kankakee, Illinois, where he plies his trade at the Kankakee Daily Journal. I work for a family-owned newspaper. We had, at one time, seven papers they owned. Most of them were in Illinois. One was in uh, Rochester, Minnesota. They had one out in around the San Francisco area, and we are down to just us now. The last one they sold, the family, was the Rochester one. Now, the number of journalists that are out there, it's terrible. What was it? General Curry had five, was it? I think it was three, but I've got it here. Three, because they've gone from two to one sports person. They've got uh, court guy. Yeah, it's like three, four. And then you've got one photographer, and that's for... Tippecanoe County is about 100, says the latest one I saw was 187,000. And then you've got, you know, outlying counties that that are going to get it also. So we're looking easily at uh, a quarter million people and three reporters to cover Um, (laughs) a population that big. Throw in the major university and, you know, you go, wow, you're going to do that. John and Jill, we have a staff now where I work of, there are 10 of us. That's the whole newsroom staff. 10 years ago, we had about 60. So did you say 60? Yeah. And, and, you know, that included full time. You had correspondents, you had stringers. We were, we cover like Lafayette, we cover five other counties. (laughs) You could say we cover them, but we don't because you don't have But with six people. It's very hard. The hardest part of it, besides the fact you can't go out and give the people what they need, is that people that have walked out the door, escorted out when their job is eliminated, or those that retire, resign, go someplace else. It's 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 really sad. And then what I believe happened that accelerated it 
it's the same thing that happened that really killed radio was the bean counters came in. The oh. bean counters, the uh, hedge fund people, uh, the venture capitalists, and, and they, they have a terrible record of coming in to a business, stripping it down to make it more profitable, and then turning it around and selling it. Absolutely. Uh, as you were talking about that. That I was just thinking about, we have a radio station. It's a AM, it's got an FM, thing. but they were like WASK was. To me, they were the, the big news leader. It seemed like they had a staff of 10 and they were that. But they had that. And here we had it. They treated news like it should be. You, know, you were they, an information leader. But somebody came into the one here and it was profitable. And they came in, they had other stations elsewhere. But this one was profitable. For a while because they sucked it dry uh and i i don't know if this is true of a lot of small communities uh, radio stations but it's all network stuff they don't even really do local news uh they rely i think on stuff we report now which is sad it was it was uh, it reminded me of home at one time maybe in the 90s 30 percent profitability of newspapers that's why everybody bought stock in Gannett. They, it was. But then you lose retail advertising and on and on and on. They're not as profitable. So they come in and, like you said, come in, strip things down and toss it to the side because the people they answer to want money. And be damned that uh, people need to know what the hell's going on in their communities. Well, and, and, you know, you don't have to have an MBA to know that there are two ways to run a profitable business. And one of them is you, you make an excellent product. And then the other way is the way the hedge fund guys do it. And when you do it that way, you have a crap product and you put a bunch of people out of work who loved their jobs. And that's for that goes for any business, but especially for for communications. Um, you would not believe how hard it is to get a job in in radio these days that pays a living wage. It's insane. Um, we're minority partners in in a radio uh, group uh, up in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. It's six stations. All of them are in one building. There are no news stations. Well, there's one that's kind of a kind of a heritage station, but you know, there's only one writer there and everything else is talk and all of the personalities are are local, but everything is computer driven. So the woman who is mornings on the uh, adult contemporary station does afternoons on the hard rock station. You know, everybody's wearing three hats and it's it's just not the way it used to be. But if you try to do it that way, you're going to lose your ass. We went through that uh, 10 months ago because the boss of the newsroom left. There were reasons that she left and, and that. But uh, that position, a very vital position, was not filled due to financial situation. And... You know, when you have people that are reporting now trying to do the other stuff as a managing editor does, you lose some people covering news. But these are things, budgets and all sorts of things that a person needs to have. Be, there needs to be a full-time person that can keep the staff going. We're doing this with advertising. We're doing this with this, this. And you, the younger people 
we have in the newsroom and it's it, it's real interesting it's like uh we have three in their 20s they're the new ones 24 up to 29 and we have chief photographers 33 and then there's the old three i call us the fossils we're 60 and above you know 66 too and the wages for those young, uh, young ones it's i don't know how how you do it i you know i have i'm not you know rich I didn't get into it for the money. I love what I do, but you, you're right. And this is in not only media communications, everywhere. And it's just sad. Well, and the product suffers no matter what business you're in. Absolutely. What also scares me about, uh, about this is that with the death of so many newspapers, the neediest areas, areas that are affected, the places in the middle of nowhere, the remote, the poorer areas and uh with poor to no internet i mean this was their last connection of you know local connection and the studies have shown that people who live in news desert communities they tend to be poorer older less educated than the average american uh, often it's most vulnerable citizens and as a result the communities end up being poorly run because the papers the media tend to hold the elected officials to the fire. So but you end up having more corruption. I don't oh. think people give give the media enough of uh, credit for the role that they do play in a community. I, I, I see that. I do cover a couple of governmental bodies too. And you go to those meetings, usually it's the trustees, aldermen, council people, you know, the mayor, uh, you have the heads of the departments, uh, finance director, uh, one of the government's the bodies I have, they have a student pledger come in. So for the first five minutes there, you, you got a family there. And other than that, you've got maybe a radio station, you got a newspaper, and that's it. I've always scratched my head and like, why don't people go to these things? And, and especially in this day and age, you can't because families are so busy. You're the link. For them to find out if there's tax increase, they're going to zone in something that they don't want. I was talking with a U.S. rep that represents our area. I was talking to one of her aides who is a former newspaper person. And he was talking about where a couple of papers have gone away. And they're not in the smaller areas. They're in a little bit suburban area. And governments have done some like shady things. And... If, if you're not holding their feet to the fire, who's going to stop? It, it, it's sad. Uh, it really is. In 2018, of all counties without newspapers, 53% were in the South. I think we can all agree, you know, and even those of us in the South, that if not a majority, then a, a sizable chunk of the poverty is in the South. So this just, this just, bears this out it just perpetuates all the problem the stuff gets swept under the rug and doesn't get reported or should be reported and doesn't get reported yeah right i think so i was just thinking about jackson mississippi yes there is something in the legislature bill wise that they want to add to the capitol police since jackson is the capital and they want to put them in some neighborhoods in that additional capital police reading the story those are kind of the affluent neighborhoods. We're not even talking about the water situation that they have down there. And uh, the less journalists you have, whether it's 
newspapers, radio, TV. It's sad. The poor are not being looked after. And the poor, a lot of times, they lack the education to know what to do to look after themselves in working with government or to try and change government. And I'm not talking about a welfare state. I'm just talking about the press, again, holding the government's feet to the fire or yeah. all walks of life. I look at uh, the situation with uh, with uh, George Santos. Here's a guy, yeah. a serial liar. It kind of reminds me of the... <laughs> The SNL character that that was that would go, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, <laughs> the guy has basically lied about everything in his life. I'm not even going to get into why didn't the Democratic Party vet this guy or the, or the Republican Party on Long Island? Where was Newsday? Where was the New York Times? It took a tiny yeah. weekly publication on Long Island to uncover this. And then, and then after that, it took months until they finally got the attention of the New York Times, who started yeah. ringing the bell. And that's why I, small community papers, weeklies, that they need to, to survive. We talk a lot about national politics, state politics, but the most important Government is your local government because property taxes, your police, your this and that. And I don't think people realize, like you said earlier, I don't think they realize the role we play for them. And the, the local politicians are the ones that are easiest to change because they're neighbors. You know, try and change something in, in Congress. You, you know, it's well, glacial in its actions. Gannett Gatehouse. <laughs> Uh, print media presence in 44 states. They yes. have a circulation of 8,500,000. Sean yeah. Hannity has 2.7 million viewers daily. Tucker Carlson has 4.3 million viewers daily. Uh, before she hung it up, Rachel Maddow had 2.6 million. Now add to that Hannity and uh, Carlson uh, made $40 million a year. Rachel Maddow made $30 million a year. And these three, they're not journalists. They're purely opinion. But Americans have learned to consume it as news rather than opinion. And that scares the hell yeah. out of me. Very scary that people form their views based on a few people. I think back to when CNN first came on. What was that? Early 80s? Right. And how much they were breaking news, this and that. It was, you went there and they were the only game in town. And then Fox News came in there, you know, we report, you you choose. And I always tell people that the Bush-Gore election outcome was the beginning of what we are at now, chaos in mainstream media. So I like, people like to say you're mainstream media. I don't watch any of those. Uh, if there's a breaking thing that comes on, I go on the internet, you go to where the location is, their papers, their television, and get it there. Because you're not going to get blowhole, if that's a word I don't know. And you're not going to get I, spin. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a coworker, his his mother watch, watches Fox News and everything is, I don't mind if, you know, you've got an opinion that's different than mine, but I'm one of those 
that believes, you know, let's kind of get both sides, kind of get it together. And then I can decide what I feel, what's believable, what's bullshit. You know, and we haven't even said anything about social media where that's people get their stuff from there too. I've told people in the past few years that some of the books that I've read, you know, high school, college and that, some of the movies I watched that were the thrillers and that, they're at, that stuff's actually happening now in real time. And it scares the, because my dad would say, well, if Joe told you to jump off the cliff, would you, uh, you know, kind of thing to, to bring me back into uh, reality. And, you know, you know, I see that. But just, people are doing that now, right? People have started that process where they hear it, they believe it, they follow it. It's gospel. Right. Uh, nobody wants to vet it. Uh, nobody wants to go to Snopes. But when you do, the people who believe boldly going where no man has gone before, they believe it regardless. I got in, I don't know, John, I think John and JP and I might have talked about this a ways back, but I got into it with a few classmates. Some of them unfriended me, didn't like me, told me I was crazy, told me I was delusional, and it got kind of ugly. And some of these people were people I've known like very long time, like my grandma knew their grandma's yeah. kind of friend. And it was ugly because they were so far deep on the crazy train, they could not believe that anything that they were believing couldn't be correct. And that everyone else who didn't believe. And I'm like you, Jeff, I, I want to read it. I want to go check out a couple of other sources. And I remember my mom always saying, there's your side, my side, and somewhere in the middle is probably the truth. And I just heard that at a meeting the other night because people came to talk in a park board meeting. The administration is looking at doing some things differently. And of course, on social media, it's like they're going to blow up this building, put that out. We don't want little kids there. And the one woman got up. There's your story. There's my story. And then there's the truth. Everyone yeah. sees it from their own perspective, whether they're speaking yeah. it, reading it, hearing it. My sisters and I right now with what we're going through we can hear a doctor tell us something and all three of us will have a different read on what he just said. Yeah. Yep. But then, and that's, a, that's a bizarre thing. But you put those three things together and I, you know, I, I would say you're, you got a clearer picture. Right. You used to. I think you're right because not everything is, not everything is, I can't think you guys are better wordsmiths than I am, but not everything is 100%. Not, not anything that you read or see is probably 100% pure yeah. news or 100% factual. There's always somebody's version of what they saw. Even in, Jeff, I know I've seen stuff you've done when you were talking about court things that you, I, I love that. I, I love court stuff. I love court dramas and legal things. I love all that. But nobody's story is 100% even what they think they saw. Yeah, a certain, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but it's never exact. So when you have all this stuff going on in the media and all these stories, whether it's in print, online, on TV, certain groups of people are going to believe those certain people they listen to and they are not going to hear anything. And I just feel like as diligent people consuming information, you should look at different sources, print, electronic you know, uh -huh. TV, whatever, but you should be getting sources. And I like your idea about going to the actual community where the event happened, because I'd never really thought of that before. What scares me about 
the the approach to information now, uh, and I think this is this is a direct effect of this fight to the death is is the concept of the zero sum game. Like on Twitter, you'll see somebody that says, "Fine, you want to help out Ukraine, but what about the people in New Palestine, Ohio?" Well, that's not an either or. You can do both. That's how they frame their opinions. And it's not framed to solve the problem. It's framed to make the person that you disagree with look like an ass. That's not constructive. I agree. Civility is gone. And uh, I think it really left the universe in 2016 and beyond for all sorts of reasons. The kind of reasons like Jill, you were talking about, you lose people that you were friends with for a long time. Things, you know, we, I don't like what you're saying. You're crazy. My right. I'm going this way. I, maybe I'm Don Quixote here. I don't understand why we cannot help more, many, instead of, no, they don't need it in, in regards to Ukraine. Let Putin have it. What's it going to do to us? Doesn't matter. I live here. I want this. But we can do this here, you know, and I don't think people look at the big picture and they don't look at consequences as much as they used to, because when all that Ukraine was starting, all I could think of was, well, once he gets that, he's going back for the rest of what used to be Eastern Europe and you're not going to stop him. Say what you want about the president. And that's not saying where I stand with him or anything, but he drew a line in the sand and got people, other countries to work together with it. That was a great thing. We didn't know the resilience of the Ukrainians. We do now. And you put those two together and that's why, you know, I think Europe can breathe a little easier. It's a shouting match anymore. Yes. I think that is what I think of in national National politics, and I'll say state because I'm seeing it there too. It's a shouting match. I'm going to outshout you. As you said, what's that solve? Nothing. Compromise is another C word that's gone. Yeah, that's Nobody a dirty knows. word. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that was You're part gonna... of what caused the problem with me and some of the classmates. There was a group of our classmates who were bickering early on in the presidential election stuff. And I said, why can't we just agree to disagree but not disrupt the friendship and i don't know how many people were on that post and whatever it was i was commenting on i I don't even remember it exactly now i was told well if you if you won't stand for something you will fall for everything and i said i'm not falling for anything i want the best for everyone whatever that is i want we should be able to have a disagreement and get along we should be able to express differences of opinions and be able to get along. Yeah. And some people just can't do that, apparently. No. You know? And so civility and all that, you're right, gone out the window. Mutual respect or trying to solve a problem, gone out the window. And when you were talking about shouting, what I was thinking in my head when you were saying that, and it seems to me, and you guys both are, you know, news people, I'm just not. I mean, I'm not in the industry. It seems the craziest, most absurd comments get the most noise. They get the most recognition. They get the most play on the news. And to me, we are just perpetuating the problem by doing that. I'm not saying it shouldn't be aired. I'm just saying that the the crazier the comments, the crazier the behavior, the more news it gets. 
I think this is where one of the things, John, you mentioned in the email when we were setting this up and, you know, it goes, if it bleeds, it leads. I think. Yeah, that's well, a good one. <laughs> and I think, I think at the national level, you have people running corporations and that, that say, we want what Jill was talking about, this crazy stuff. That's what we report. I have not watched national news for a very long time. I rarely watch. Part of that now is that I go to bed at eight o'clock, but I will say this, John, and this is something I thought about. I have a lot more respect for people reporting in TV and radio. I get to write 500 to 750 words and you people have to do it in 90 seconds and get to the point. I do like that. They go after profit. They don't go after the story. The well, story is yes. money maker. We grew up in an age when Walter Cronkite, everybody turn it on, uh, you know, Chet Huntley and uh, Brinkley. You watched them and they gave you the news. You trusted and what they said was true. They were telling you the story as best they knew it. I think that changed a little and you can go back. I remember watching the Ken Burns series on Vietnam and it dealt with Walter Cronkite. He went over it and he saw what was really happening. Uh, LBJ <laughs> said, when I lose Cronkite, I lose the country. And that's, and, and you go from there and then you got the two guys, uh, Woodward and Bernstein, started with Watergate, investigative journalism. I think that's where the springboard for that came. But now I will, I do watch CNBC and I started watching that when I was working from home because of the pandemic. Not only was there business news, but it was hooked into the news and it was great. I, you know, you, I learned that that's a good thing. I do have problems with people that talk to me and call me and they'll say, well, you're Main Street Media. And I disagree. Uh, we are community media. We're not the big boys. People call us liberal and all sorts of things. But I, I just don't get how you lump one with the other. That's their right. And uh, so be it. John, you said earlier, you know, radio news and stations are different. Newspapers are different. I think TV news is, has changed too. One of the things I take it is, is because, you know, the 10 o'clock or the 11 o'clock newscast wherever you are in a time zone. I found it to just be a repeat of what you could see at 4, 4.30 or 6 o'clock, unless there was something major break. Let's see, the Chicago station start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with their news shows. So, and those go through until 6 o'clock. I just... In Nashville, the news is from 4 to 7 with, with a half hour for, you know, the network. But it's exactly yeah. as you said. It's warmed over news but their salespeople are able to go out and say, you can buy a commercial or a set of commercials on the network, but you know you're going to get the local people if you put it in the news. I think news gathering and, and, and uh, TV news is confrontive than it used to be. I mean, when FDR was president, oh. it was the gentle conspiracy that the president was in a wheelchair. So there was a gentleman's agreement that you never took a picture of Roosevelt in his wheelchair. Can you imagine that kind of uh, wink and a nod agreement today? I mean, the photographers are praying that uh, Biden is going to fall down again. They prayed for when Ford was falling down. 
It had nothing to do with their competence. It was a picture uh, and with TV, the stories that are, that they like, they have to have some video. If there's mm-hmm. not video, yeah. then people get bored and they're going to flip to the other station. Here's another thing. Talking about that, look at the pictures that are, are used with stories of Trump or Biden or this and that. It seems like they go out of their way to give you one that shows them in in ways they want to portray him. And I go like, was that the only shot you could do? Or are, are you doing this to mock? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, their video is editorializing. Here's an odd thing. Um, Like I said, my first 16 years uh, with sports, and I liked it. I love writing. I liked sports, you know. uh, My career, I retired, John, in sixth grade basketball. (laughs) And, you know, that was a way to get in. You know, I always loved reading about politics and all that stuff. So I was out of sports a few years and i had somebody come up to me and say well i wish you were still covering sports and i said why you didn't put your opinion in the story a game story and i was like wow you know i would go back and start reading stories of of the people right now and i'm going like holy crap my philosophy is it is old school was if you're going out to report something try to report as close as possible to what's happening sure 10 people are going to read the story and they're going to nine out of the 10 are probably going to see it differently. And, and that's fine. You know, that goes back to Jill's statement about sisters talking to the doctor and three of you having different takes on it. I get it. But I'm very diligent in wanting to report. I don't want to put myself in interject into that's what columns are about. We'll wrap up our talk with journalist Jeff Body in our next podcast episode. And then the three of us will take a look at the police beating of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee earlier this year. Now, this problem certainly doesn't seem to be going away. And the new dimension of the beating of a black man by black policemen adds further questions as to how this epidemic of police violence can be brought under control. This has been Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. Like Ethnic Stew on Facebook, check out our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and on ethnicstew.com.